Hey everybody, this is Michael and you're listening to Conversations with a Recovering Loan Officer, the show that is designed to help loan officers grow their mortgage business. We talk to top producers, marketing experts, and other inspiring people whose experience can help you reach your goals in less time. Hey guys, Michael here with Conversations with a Recovering Loan Officer, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, and I always say that every time, but this in particular is the one person I would say is the most special guest I've had. Wow. Because he's not only my good friend, but he's also my co-founder of Pre-Approve Me, Matthew Dowd. Matthew, taller than me, Dowd. Matthew, wow, see, that might be the first time you've ever called me that. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He goes by Matt. Matt's fine. You, know. you call me Mike, but I go by Michael, so. I know. That's true. You can call me. It's right. It's fair. It's only fair. Yeah. So, <laughs> thanks for joining me. Yeah, man. Great to be here. I love it. I feel like we've been talking about you doing a podcast forever, and now I think it's awesome that it's going. It's really cool, actually. I was in uh, onboarding yesterday with a new new member, and he had like said, "Oh, I found you through the podcast." Oh, perfect. And he's like, "I love listening to the podcast because I don't feel like you're just pushing your product. You're you're like." talking to people that can really help me. Yeah. That's why I was really interested in talking to you today. I mean, not only because you're, you know, great to talk to, but because I think you have something really unique to bring to the table just due to your background, you know, and not re- not re- with Pam p- p- specifically, but, you know, just. Yeah. You know. So give us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you came from and the whole journey. Well, um, I just was going to say, I think it's interesting, like in the podcasting I've done, you know, out here, it is, it's funny how people just find you randomly, you know? And it's like, if something you're talking about resonates with them and then they want to listen to it and then, you know, it's cool. It's cool. That works. It's like super random sometimes. Um, well, so my background, like where, where do you want to start? You know, uh, um, I met on the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was a I was a loan officer. Yeah, you were a loan officer. And see, this was oh nine, I think. So you were a little ways into it. Yeah. I was trying to figure my stuff out as usual. <laughs> <laughs> and uh was working at your uncle's course, actually. Yeah, that's right. To that is a career, which I pretty quickly found out I did not want to make my career because I wanted to enjoy golf. <laughs> yeah. But uh man, that started something, huh? Like we both had this common interest in several things, right? Golf being one of them. Yeah. And then like, I would say, I would call it unconventional way of looking at things. Like when it came to business and finances stuff, I would say, mm-hmm. I feel like that was a big common thread. And we, so we, it was easy to talk about that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, kind of worked our way through, career stuff like we started working together right i was in financial services you were in mortgage yeah you were doing my insurance for my clients yeah yeah that was great i really appreciated that you helped me out a lot (laughs) (laughs) you know just like sending some clients my way and stuff um and uh i don't know i was it depends on what we end up wanting to talk about but with regard to that career journey you know i was always looking for just the right thing that would sort of adequately define me you know Mm -hmm. like in my career i want that was a big deal to me for whatever reason you know i grew up with uh, a dad as a business owner small business owner and sort of this whole inheritance in front of me that i could have just stepped right into 
but I never really wanted it, you know? And I tried it out a couple, well, a bunch of different times and, and one big final time and just realized it wasn't for me, you know? And then I think that left kind of a gap that I felt like I needed to fill. Like, okay, so if I'm not going to do this obvious thing, then what am I going to do? Plus, I didn't really know another way to determine like who I thought I was, you know, my career and vocation felt like the big way to define that. So I was on this big search, you know, <laughs> so that led me to trying a bunch of different things, which looking back now, I find very helpful. I'm really glad I went on that journey, you know, of trying different stuff because it created a broad base of like understanding of different things that, that has helped me in, in business and in things that I do now. But um, I'm also glad that it led us to connect like really glad. Cause this has been like the single, probably the other than my golf <laughs> game, just like I'm 30 years into that now, but like this has been the last, uh, I mean, if you include since Oh nine, really, we started sort of working together in like a connect, you know, in a partner or not a partnership way, but in a referral partner sort of way. Right. And then 20, about 10 years ago, we started working together for real, like becoming business partners. And it's been, you know, this in crazy years, dude. Yeah. It <laughs> really has been, it's been a lot of ups and downs for sure. Yeah. You know, and no doubt. And, uh, so you'd mentioned that, you know, you were trying to define yourself through your work, you know, like you were kind of connecting them as, you know, your destiny or your goal or whatever. Mm. Is that how you, like, do you still look at it that way? Or are you trying to like break from that mold or? Well, yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things I learned in that whole, you know, diving into that whole area was that it never will work to try to find something external to myself to use that as like what defines me or to use that to determine if I'm successful or, you know what I mean? Any of that kind of stuff. And I was looking for all these things on the outside of me. So like my career, certain relationships, you know, that type of thing to, to, to inform my view of myself and how good I felt about myself or whatever. And what I learned was that it's really exactly the opposite. So your identity is in you already and it's there to be discovered. And it's true no matter what happens, like what circumstances happen. So the truest things about each of us are always true. It doesn't change. It can't, it, like it can't change. We don't always live in it though. Like we don't always live it out. Sometimes, a lot of times we fall away from it. Um, pressure, circumstances that go in, you know, against us seemingly, um, just difficulties, challenges, other people. There's all these variables, you know, that affect us and can cause us to sort of move away from those things that, you know, that we're really meant for, that we really, you know, that, that resonate or that align, that we align with the best. And so then we end up operating in this false sense of ourselves, right? Um, but I guess the, the discovery was that if I can understand what's true about me, then I can bring it into any situation. So it, it matters a lot less what I'm doing. Like I don't have to find just the exact right career. I can know who I am and what I bring to the table and then apply that wherever I am, wherever I'm working or at home or relationships, you know, any, it applies everywhere. Yeah. So that was like a major light bulb 
like hugely significant turning point, you know, and that's affected everything since then. And that we're coming up on eight years since I first encountered that idea, you know, um, and it's still a challenge all the time. Like it's still a challenge to stay in that mode, you know? And then I know that we've gotten a chance to dig into it together and, you know, it's, it's helped you as well. So yeah, I don't know. Like what is that answering your question or? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Actually, you know, yesterday we were talking on the phone about, um, that book, the four agreements, and you'd asked me kind of like for a quick summary before you dove into it. Yeah. And what I'm real, you know, what I'm realizing now is that, um, you said, you know, you have to continue to remind yourself of that, right? Because you get distracted or you get like taken away from like your true, you know, identity. Mm-hmm. What what that is, is in the book, The Four Agreements, which is such a good book, he describes that your entire life is based on a set of agreements that you make with yourself. Right. And those agreements can be built on your own, but most of the time they're societal or external people pushing their thoughts or feelings on you and you make a decision in that moment Mm -hmm. if you agree with that. And they gave this great story about a mom to got essentially. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you then you own that, right? As a part of your identity. Yeah. And even if it's not your true self, like you're taking that on. Right. And so it's so hard to break from your sort of societal or your like peer group agreements that they make for you. And one time I remember I said something to you and at the time I had no idea what you meant by this, but I'm looking back on it now. I said, you're always late, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh Matt, straight to T Matt, you know? Yeah. And you're, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, I reject that identity. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's like I'm not going to accept that, right? Exactly. I don't accept that identity, and I was just yeah. like, "What? What are you even talking about, dude?" <laughs> yeah, I get it now, right? Right, and that's what I was going to say about like with the agreements that we make. Here's another really critical thing that I think it's missed all the time. Usually, those agreements are unconscious. Like we don't sit there and be like, oh, this crappy thing just happened to me and I really didn't like it and made me feel this and that and and the other thing. And now I believe that I'm always going to fail or I believe that things are always going to go against me or whatever the belief that we take on from that event, you know, like we don't consciously think through it. If we did, we'd actually be able to process through and find the truth in it and, and reject the lie. Like what I was trying to do with Ted, you know. Yep. That little thing that you said to me, it was like, no, I'm not going to unconsciously just accept that. I'm going to consciously reject it and try to hold on to what I've learned is true about me, right? Yeah. It's a, it's super subtle and it does take, uh, it takes awareness, first of all. Like you have to be aware that this is happening inside of you. <laughs> and then it has, you know, takes some proactivity to retrain yourself because, um, man, our minds are just wired to like create beliefs that we actually make judgments about things and we and then we like attach our identities to those beliefs that's really problematic because then you if the belief gets challenged now it's like i'm my existence is being challenged right and like i don't want to not exist that's really what people don't want i think at the core levels they want to be known and be seen and feel like they matter and if 
if my beliefs are attached so closely to who I am, you can't challenge my belief without challenging who I am. And now we're in a war. Right. That's faith, right? It's like, it's your beliefs create in the, the beliefs that are so permanently ingrained in you that you believe are true. That's just faith in that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you remember back in the day? Uh, I'm sure, I mean, I kind of read this book every once every five years or so, but you know, four hour work week, he challenges people in that book mm -hmm. to kind of challenge their beliefs, like societal beliefs on certain things. And one of the things he, he says in the book is go into a mall and like lay on the ground. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that one. Remind me of that one. Because he's like, I love, you know, the. He basically's like, go into a, a mall and lay on the ground and just lay there. He's like, get out of your comfort zone. Uh -huh. Don't care about what other people think. Why can't you lay on the ground? You stand on the ground all the time. Just lay on the ground. Right. And it like kind of breaks you away from like what you, the laws or the beliefs that you've created about what's normal in this environment. You know, it's brilliant. I love it. I forgot about that little anecdote, but he's the master at that kind of stuff. Like he took that idea of not accepting societal norms and stuff to the extreme. Totally. Yeah. He's done really well with it. That's a, I mean, that's a foundational philosophy for us. Right. I mean, in starting the, the business and all that kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, so how do you deal with that? Right. So if, if you've got these beliefs these laws you kind of wired into your core that this is how things are. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. The other people are telling you who you are and you're taking that and you're owning it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you stop that? How do you like find the root cause of who you are? Yeah, like, totally. Well, it takes, um, it takes moving out of the rational mind. That's another place where I was really stuck because, you know, any of us who are like intelligent, you know, sharp people, whatever, who can think through things, we tend to feel like we can think our way through any problem, you know, using our rational mind. And I mean, the rational mind is incredibly valuable, obviously. Right. But these things exist. Um, the first time I kind of got a, a glimpse of what this was about was in Simon Sinek's Golden Circle, that TED Talk, you know, and he draws the three circles on the board. Why in the middle, you know, start with why, why, how, what. But then he says, it's also the same pattern in our brain that I think is the limbic system is it sits in the middle, in the center, which is where our belief center, and it's not tied to language, hmm. right? This is his explanation. And I'm just secondhand, you know, <laughs> reiterating it to you now. I'm not the scientist or whatever, but basically it's kind of like, well, why do you love your wife? You know, why do you love your girlfriend? It's like, well, she's smart and she's pretty and she's funny. But yeah, but so are like half a million other people, you know, in your life, whatever. That doesn't really adequately describe that really specific why her and not anybody else. You know what I mean? Because it's difficult to connect the, that core belief to language. And it's that whole back to it's not a conscious thing. Like our beliefs lie in our unconscious or subconscious. So we have to figure out how to access it. The common terms now, well, meditation or mindfulness, right? Something that turns on the um, uh, 
intuitive mind. I was going to say the irrational. <laughs> it's not irrational. The intuitive mind, right? Our right brain or whatever. The, I don't know, the creative mind, our imagination. The thing that worked really well when we were kids and then we were kind of taught away from it, you know? Um, and you think of Einstein's quote or his thought that, you know, the, uh, the intuitive mind is this divine gift and the rational mind is its servant, but we have forgotten the gift and made the servant, the master uh -huh. We're too much on our ability to rationally think through things. Okay. So how do you get at it? You gotta, I mean, there's really simple exercises. There's really simple things you can do. You gotta get kind of quiet, you know, and then start asking questions like, what do I believe to be true? That's not actually true. And give yourself space to let your um, intuitive mind, let your imagination, just whatever kind of comes up and use your rational mind to sort of observe what your intuitive mind is showing you. It's kind of like going to watch a TV show and your own brain is the, the show and you're watching it. <laughs> it also really helps, I mean, to think of it as it's a little bit more than just humanistic. There's a spiritual layer to it. And to, and so you're trying to access the other, like there's something outside of us that can inform this a lot better than we can. Um, you know, in like, in my background, it'd be God, right? Right. Like Jesus, the spiritual being this presence, you know, um, we, that's what I ultimately believe is the truest way to go and like the one that's not going to lead you astray. But the important thing is like, are you accessing something that's benevolent and interested in you and has the ability? So like the presence of love, the presence of truth, like capital T, capital L. And what, what is it trying to show you? Like your intuitive mind, like the truth is down in there but you just have to give yourself space to let it come up because it's usually just kind of buried and we are really masters at keeping it stuffed down there, mm -hmm. right? By being super busy or super distracted or medicated or what, you know, all the ways that we do it, right? So what do I believe, you know, that's true that's not true or a great way to get at it is emotion. So what is the negative emotion that I'm experiencing right now and usually people can name that pretty easily. I'm frustrated. <laughs> I am, you know, I'm angry. I'm scared. Well, there's a lot of fear. Fear is at the root of a lot of things. Anyway, whatever it is. Okay. So when you feel that way, then go to that identity statement, right? Like it makes me feel like I am what, or I am not what. And just kind of work your way through it. So I feel anxious. When I feel anxious, I feel like I am alone. No one's here to help me. Okay. When's the first time you can remember feeling alone that way? And your mind is amazing how this will work, right? Like if someone's listening to this, they could actually be going through this process right now as I'm describing it. Right? So what's the main negative emotion that you're dealing with right now? When you experience that emotion, turn it into identity statement. How does it make you feel about yourself? I am this or I am not that, right? Okay. When's the first time you can remember feeling that way? A lot of times it's going to take you back to something in your childhood. That's just typical, not always, but it's very common. Mm -hmm. Definitely, obviously something in your past. <laughs> um, and it's like, whatever comes to mind is the right thing. Okay. So it's like now in that situation, what did you begin to believe based on what happened to you that may not actually be true? 
you know, and how has that affected your life? And then what, when I take people through this process, which I've done some in, you know, some coaching situations, it's like, you can literally see it, the shift happen in them. <laughs> Cause it's like, wow, I've believed this thing to be true for 20 years or whatever. I had a lady who was 60 years, you know, that she had held on to this belief unknowingly. And it had affected her in all these different ways in her life. And as it was kind of unraveling, you know, she's realizing this thing she had believed in her core wasn't actually true. It started to shift her viewpoint on her entire life and all of these things that had happened to her since then. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like the dominoes start to fall and you can see this sort of release, right? And there's this freedom. It like actually reshapes our perspective on who we are and you know, the world around us and what's been going on and what it all means, you know, it's really, it's really powerful. It's really freeing. And then it's like, okay, well then what's the truth? That's what you want to get to. If this was the lie, <laughs> then what's actually true and try to, try to see that, try to receive that thing that's true. And then just hang on to it. You like cling to it, right? When you get into another challenging situation, like cling to the truth, practice it, believe the new thing. Yeah, make notes like what you hear or what you see. Cause, uh, like when, uh, we were with a big group of guys when we did this, when I did this the first time, and we all went through this process of trying to find our, you know, like our true identity. And what, and everybody, what we did is we kind of asked each other, what, uh, how did you receive the identity? What was it? Describe it to us. And everyone is like completely different. You know, some people like hear it in music. Some people see like, I saw like an action movie. Yeah. You know, it was pretty cool actually. And through that process, like I was able to sort of like understand my truest, true like nature. And oh man, I tell you, it's like you said, it's hard to like hold on to that because you have so many other people yeah. seeing their identities on you. And, and so in the, in the, in the book, the four agreements, he described this as, um, so he talks about essentially it is a religious book. He says that essentially like whether you are in alignment with your identity or not is whether you're living in heaven or you're living in hell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And he says that people who live in hell don't want to be there alone. They want company. Right. Misery loves company. Totally. Yeah. And so they yeah. will they will force their beliefs and their identities and and their victimhood and their on you to bring you to their level yeah. in hell, essentially. Yeah. You know, and if you're not religious, right. then it's just call it in an unhealthy place, right? Yeah. In, in a bad place. space. Yeah. A bad, you know. Yeah. And um it makes a lot of sense. But for me, what's really important is to is to revisit that process frequently mm -hmm. so that I can realign myself um, and sort of combat what's coming from the outside, you know? Yep. That, that is the huge key in either case, whether you want to exist in heaven or hell, you know, if you want your experience of life to be full of love, joy, peace, you know, et cetera, et cetera, or, angst, fear, strife, you know, whatever. Nobody really wants that, but people do gravitate towards it, right? If they, it's like a defense mechanism or something, or it's just easier, 
Um, but the company you keep makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. It's almost impossible to stay. Well, it's nearly impossible to stay in the joyful mindset, you know, in that connectedness worldview or whatever by yourself. It's almost always going to devolve into something more negative. Mm-hmm. But you can go negative by yourself pretty easily. That's where, that's actually like where you can go the most negative probably because you just kind of go down your own rabbit hole of despair, you know, it gets scary. And it gets, it's, it's a lot of times it's so deeply rooted in you from, you know, uh, your, your upper, like you said, the child, your childhood, right? These beliefs yep. are, you're indoctrinated into them. You a lot of times don't even have the choice. Totally. You know, you you're you're a, a mosaic of of the environment that you grew up in, and your beliefs are created through the big people in your life that you're supposed to respect. Right. And yep. if those big people communicate the way they were communicated to by their parents, yeah, then it's why like the cult culturally Americans are different than, you know, Chinese people. They're completely different, you know? And like you go to Paris and people work four hours a day and they take a two hour lunch and they, yeah. yeah. And here it's like the grind, you know, got to grind away. You got to, yeah. And it's all based on those beliefs. Totally. It's culture. That's culture at its essence, you know? Yeah. Um, and we don't, yeah, it's hard to recognize, you know, it's like you, uh, you ask a fish, how's the water? And it's like, what's water? Right. It doesn't even real, realize what water is until you take it out of the water. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> I need that, whatever that was. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, you're right. So it gets like, no matter how good our parents are or like our environment growing up, whatever are the circumstances of our upbringing, you know, it's like even in the best case scenario, it's still going to be imperfect. We're still going to receive wounds. We're going to experience trauma. Even like minor traumas can have the similar effect, right? Because they, they cause us to form these beliefs. Just like it's pretty instantaneous. You know, when yeah. we experience something challenging or negative, we usually are pretty quick to like judge it. It's, it's, a, it's a defense mechanism, you know, fight or flight. It's like our yeah. reptilian brain is programmed to keep us away from things that we perceive would harm us you know and so we do the stuff automatically so it takes yeah it takes a conscious effort to overcome it the the big challenge too that i'm learning is that um like humans are the only species on earth that punishes themselves over and over interesting for the same mistakes mm. so think of a dog or a cat or whatever like their punishment is instant immediate and it's uh uh you know likely the direct result of them doing something but then they leave it yeah right huh like goldfish like ted lasso you've been watching <clears throat> yeah yeah it's the great goldfish right totally. yeah be 10 second memory <laughs> yeah yeah and it's the same thing so but humans they have a very long memory and when you put yourself and you remember an event or an experience that was a negative thing. Not only are you remembering it, you're reliving it and you're reinforcing that in your mind. Totally. And so yep. thousands of times 
that one time your friend in eighth grade told you you looked fat. Yeah. Now you you forever going to look fat until you find a way to break that agreement. Totally. And you're going to project into the future. Remember Landmark Forum? Yes. So they were all about that. Like whatever is in your past that's unresolved, you're projecting into your future. And so you're just reliving the same reality over and over. And, you know, this mindfulness thing and I like what, in, in my opinion, what Jesus was talking about and all, you know, any of these people who are trying to get at this like state of higher human function, like better perspective on everything is like in the moment. The past and the future don't even exist. Yeah. That's the ideal, right? It's like the moment is is where it's at. Life is right now. And so if you have to be able to release the past, you have to be able to like be free of anxiety of the future. Those two are related to each other, you know? Um, so beliefs are a big one. Forgiveness is the other one. And some religions get at this. Others don't so much. It doesn't matter. Like you can ask a psychologist, whoever it's like, forgiveness is a huge deal because forgiveness is where we hang on. Unforgiveness is where we hang on to the things, you know, that either we've, been wronged and we're like holding the other person accountable you know or we've done wrong and we're like not releasing ourselves to move out of it right but in either case forgiveness is huge it's really like understanding what that is all about and the power of it is big that it's um not about saying whatever happened is okay it's more like saying that i'm canceling the debt like okay. just, I have to leave it behind, right? We're canceling the effect of what happened. There's nothing that can be done about it now. It's been done. It was not good. It hurt me. It hurt others It whatever, but holding on to it is far worse than usually even the thing itself. You know, it's like, no, let's, let's just like cancel it. And if we can do that for each other, that's huge, you know, and we need to do it within ourselves or, you know, work on that. Yeah, that's a really hard thing to, to you know, do though, and to practice, right? I mean, yeah. Is there anything you can think of, like any like strategies that you've, yeah, come up with? Any, yeah, enlist your imagination again. Okay. All right. So, who in my life do I need to forgive? Am I holding in unforgiveness? It could be yourself. It could be somebody else. Okay. What do they look like to me? What does that person look like? Imagine them, you know? Sometimes they look like kind of mean and nasty, you know, or big and intimidating or whatever. And then it's a good chance to, again, to connect with like the presence of perfect love or, you know, absolute truth. And like, what does this person look like through the eyes of love? And then usually you will see them differently. Like a lot of times you'll see them as a little kid or uh, somebody scared, you know, like hurt, wounded, broken, whatever. You get a different view of them. It's like, okay, how would you treat that person versus this intimidating, angry one or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And so you actually get a different image in your mind of who that person is and like how, why they were treating you the way they were, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And again, it just reframes it all and it makes it much easier to actually do it. You're like, wow, I can... I'm not going to go yell at a little scared, lost six-year-old, you know, if that's who who they really are inside, you know, it changes it. It makes it easier. Like you actually end up with compassion and empathy. Wow. 
It makes you think outside yourself. Also, that's the cool thing is like, it takes your eyes off of my own victimhood and turns it around to like, how can I be like a positive influence in this situation? Yeah. When victimhood is such a, like a weird topic, you know, like the belief that things happen to you. Yeah. Instead of like, what's the reality though? Like, are people manifesting these things? Like, or are they just like, that's where they gravitate in their lives? Or is it just how they're interpreting everything? That's what I think, right? It's like, yeah, things happen. There's nothing that can stop that. It's what does it mean? I think is where we get stuck, right? If the way that person treated me defines me now, now I'm the victim of that that situation or of their view. Mm-hmm. That can be on like a really small micro level. It can be on a really big macro level, you know? Um, and again, none of this stuff is easy. It's easy to talk about. It's way harder to do, you know? It's like you have to want to in the first place. There's some... Pa- there's some power in hanging on to our own victimhood. We can leverage it, you know? So sometimes it's not that appealing to even let, let it go. Huh? How so? Like, well, I mean, let's try not to get political. Let's just say like in our own lives, you know, yeah. it's like you hurt me. And so I'm going to throw that back in your face. Oh. Never the, scales balance out of my favor mm-hmm. well but you did this three years ago you know and so it's like this continual power struggle back and forth you know to like one up the other person or to gain the leverage back right and so if you released that and said man i forgive you i'm never going to bring that up again that's not going to affect me or our relationship anymore at all forever then the next time you want to use it you can't <laughs> so <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you lost that And you're going to be way better off for it, but, you know, you can see where that can be hard to do. I mean, is it fair to say that, like, as a a person who tends to hold on to that sort of thing, they're living in the past, right? And then they're projecting that into the future. Yeah. Instead of living now, right? And, you know, dealing with the things that come to them and just taking them for what they are and letting go of the bad. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, there's so many analogies for this, you know, it's like, um, a sunk cost in business. Well, we spent that money didn't work out, but you can't think about that anymore. You just got to move forward. Like the money, the bank is the money that we have now. Like this is where we're at. Right. Yep. Or, uh, like pot odds in poker, you know, it's oh, like yeah. you made that bet and it doesn't matter. The money's gone. You can look at the pot odds, but the pot odds are now like, you know, yeah you're on the turn or the river. It's like, what is it now? What happened before is not, is now irrelevant. Putting more money into that pot because you have some money in that pot doesn't actually make sense. No. Right. It's only if it's a good decision now based on what's on, you know, what's real right now. Yeah. You made me miss poker just now. I know. Right. (laughs) Oh man. I haven't played in so long. Me neither. And, um, yep. So yeah, I mean, it's, you can apply that sort of philosophy all over the place, but yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. That's interesting stuff. Yeah. So how does that apply to, okay. So like, who are we talking to here? Like loan officers, yeah. people, you know, okay. Yeah. So times are tough, right? Maybe it's a little better, but like this last year has been pretty rocky. So, I mean, what do you do with it? You know, 
Like, what do you, what do you think? You're the one who, you got your finger on the pulse of this one. Um, well, I mean, what do I do with which part with this, what we've been talking about? Well, so do you feel like a lot of people in the industry are stuck right now? Or yeah. I mean, like where, you know, where are they at? There are definitely a lot of victims out there, right? Um, a lot of, a lot of loan officers who feel that the rates are defining their success, mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, that there's no chance for them to maintain themselves. And it's like, it's really sad, actually. It's really hard to watch because I mean, there's a lot of really good loan officers that I've known for a long time that are, are just like struggling to get themselves to do the work in their business and on themselves yeah. to move past external forces yeah. they have yeah. no control over. So here's what this making me think of, right? Is that really nothing productive can happen until we get out of the self-defensive mode and like the victimhood mentality back into creativity, like the prefrontal cortex, right? And it has to... You think of it almost like a weight. You have to drop anchor or well, you have to not drop anchor. It's like a boat, but drop like a hot air balloon, right? Like get rid of the things so that you can rise up again. Well, these negative viewpoints and the victimhood mentality and all this kind of stuff is just that. It's like these big sandbags keeping us down, right? Mm -hmm. So the first step is to eliminate that or get away from it. This has been big for you, getting back into that creative mode. Yeah. Right? Because now it's making me think of that book, my favorite book, The 177 Secrets, Mental Toughness Secrets of the World Class, you know, where it's like the world class creates, the middle class competes, the world class creates. Well, you can't create if you're not in a creative mind frame. Right. And you can't be in a creative mind frame if you're stuck in victimhood and, you know, this defensive, self-protective mode. I, I find it like, so it, it's very counterintuitive based on like my upbringing and based on like my societal, you know, external forces that brought me up. But like oftentimes the best, most productive time I have is when I'm not here in front of my desk. Right. It's, it's the idea. It's like getting out and getting into a, a state or a place, an environment that allows me to free up that creative mind. Totally. And that's when I have an aha moment or come up with an idea that will completely change whatever it is that I'm thinking about. And I have to give myself permission to do that without feeling guilt. Because if I don't, if I feel guilty when I'm out there, I'm not going to reach that state. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you're just going to be living in the past or living in some other place, <laughs> right? Yep. Your body's out there, but your mind's back in your little cubicle. Right. Yeah, I was trying to grind it out. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, so I was thinking, you know, in like in the mortgage industry and like in a lot of industries, the the product itself is pretty much a commodity. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not like you have a better mortgage than somebody else no. or better rate than somebody else or better service than somebody else. You know, it's like that's not really the separator. You know, so what is it? Um, and it's like, it's that uniqueness. It's that identity. It's the you, right? You're the person. Mm -hmm. You're the thing that's different than anybody else out there. And like, 
taking time to find that and like how it can show through and what you do. Cause yeah, you know, there's enough business for everybody, even in kind of a tough market, there's still enough. Well, especially because no matter how long you and I talk about this or how many books we recommend or how many people go through these, the process of trying to find their identity mm -hmm. and free up their creative state, only a small percentage of the people that are in the mortgage industry are going to do it. Yeah. And the other ones are going to, they're going to go away because they can't. Totally. For whatever reason, they can't unfortunately move through that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully they'll find, I mean, that's the other answer like we, we need to be open to is that like, I'm no longer really connected to this and I need to go find something else. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. maybe my identity and creativity and everything is like moving me in a different direction and like that's okay, you know. Um, yeah, I mean it is that is okay right it's a job yeah yeah exactly huh. we're gonna go through transitions you want to be somewhere that's like you know exciting at least or like energizing I guess would be you know not just showing up just to show up it reminded me of something when um, you were saying like you, you know, you're dropping a weight from the hot air balloon or whatever that that other audio book that you sent me that was uh, 10x is easier than 2x. Yeah, that's what. Yep, <laughs> right. Yeah, he's like they in the first like chapter is basically like the kind of the history of how like uh, Michelangelo was like how we got to who he was, which was how deter. Yeah. Your internet I mean, was, yeah. Kind of losing the internet yeah. wise. Rose, I just, sorry about that, yeah. Um, But in the book, he's like, the Pope or something asked him, like, how did you do this? How did you create this sculpture? And he said, I just removed everything that wasn't David. Yeah. It's like, how many of us are holding on to things that aren't us? Oh, right. Right. You know, like, that's not Michael. That's not me, like get rid of that, get rid of this, you know, you know, and tell your true self is, you know, apparent and like how freeing is that, you know, to get to that state. Yeah. And uh, the art restoration, I know Michelangelo is creating it from scratch, but like, let's say you take one of his sculptures and then it sits somewhere for a few hundred years, you know, and it gets all kind of dingy and soiled or whatever. Well, this finding your true identity is a lot like somebody finding that statue and going in and carefully like um, removing all of the junk from it. You know, that's not really part of it. It's just the stuff that is accumulated on it. Yeah. Right. And that happens to us too. Like our spirit, our body, everything, it accumulates scar tissue and junk and like having that cleaned up and removed through this process is really beneficial kind of like reveals the true thing that's underneath it yeah you can't even know right until you start pulling those layers off and a lot of people never seen their true self right exactly you know, and unless you're like really really young i mean like you see it you see it in children that are like under four years old yeah how they just they because their brains are not wired to yet uh accept other people's yeah. beliefs in them 
they just are moving to their truest self. And it's like, but when parents yell, hey, stop singing, you're annoying me, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden, like they, okay, my singing annoys people. Right. I'm a horrible singer. Yeah. I don't want to sing anymore. It's right. like, you know. Exactly. Those little those little things start to build up. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's, that is the deal. Well, that deal sucks. I, I reject that deal. I know. That's that's right. That's why it's like you can be cognizant of it with our own kids, you know. It's yeah. that's hard too. Man, that's like when it's really convicting. It's like, what did I just say? <laughs> did I just say? You know, am I helping him form an an incorrect belief that's based in fear and shame, you know? It's like, oh it's tough. You know, it's it's tough enough when it's just yourself. And then right. when you have other people you're responsible for instilling these initial like belief system in them. Yeah. And you were talking about cultures and how it gets handed down generation to generation, you know, and like, that's the good and the bad hand in hand. And, um, who's a Richard Rohr has this saying that what doesn't get transformed gets transmitted. Oh, <laughs> so generational, generationally, or just relationally between people, you know, it's like, if I've got something festering in me, especially if I'm not aware of it and it's just in there, yeah, like permeating everything, you know, then it's going to end up on other people, it's, you know, like, yeah, sure. it's gross, but that's, that is, that's what happens and you can see it, man. Once you start being aware of it and be becoming aware of it, it's like, you see it everywhere and it's like, yeah, well, no fun. I'm going to call that a good stopping point. Because your internet's going and we've... Yeah, sorry. That's a lot to chew on, honestly. Right. Um, maybe... Uh, so, like, I... It's a little bit of a different approach, but it understands the technical side of, like, how these things sort of, like, in, uh, um, you know, how they sort of, like, become you and, like, how to sort of deal with it mechanically a little bit better. Um, the Four Agreements, an excellent book. Right. I highly recommend that. But, I'm, Matt, I'm sure you've got another couple of recommended pieces of reading or audiobooks that people can look at. Yeah. I mean, shoot up and just freezing in my back. Um, the 177 Mental Toughness Secrets of the World Class by Steve Seibold is a great book. It's a little daily reader, like two page per chapter kind of thing with, um, yeah, mindset shifting. The four-hour work week, I would say, is right up there. Uh, specifically if you want to like apply these things to like your business life. Yeah. But you know, he goes into all that dreamscaping and all this stuff. It's like, it's really pretty like across the board practical, I think for anybody. Yeah. Um, and then I would actually recommend living fearless by Jamie Winship. Yeah. You, have you read that one yet? Um, I'm no. like halfway through it. I, I, you and I have been the last week been like sending each other. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And I, and I get into like half of it and then I get, I got to bounce to another one, but yes, I am, uh, yeah, yeah. I am listening to it. Uh -huh. uh, I've met Jamie a few times. You've worked with Jamie in the past. Um, really cool. Yeah. Cool dude. And he talks a lot about this identity exchange yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's their website too. Identityexchange.com. If you want to go straight at it. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's some good place to start for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, Matt. We'll have to do this again. That was a, really a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Always good to talk to you, Matt. Matt Matthew Dowd. 
yeah. the COO and co-founder of Pre-Approve Me. Wow. So wow. Look at yeah. that. <laughs> Thanks, dude. I'm sure I'll talk to you again later today. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs>